Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose. Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing is the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing. Wellness Force Radio, episode 123, with the founder of Onnit, Aubrey Marcus. We've forgotten who we really are. We don't have the right identification point. We're identifying as this fickle, scared ego who's constantly worried about his status and his identity being challenged rather than, oh no, I'm this badass cosmic traveler made of light that's currently embodying this human form. When your spirituality is made of tinfoil and you've never actually put it in the fire, you've never actually let it burn and let it roast and let every doubt and every fear come at you all at the same time and realize, is this going to hold up? Am I going to choose love? You know, unless you've been down that road, you're not going to be confident because you don't know if it's real. You haven't been tested. You haven't thrown your soul up into the forge of the universe and said, let's see what exists. Let's see if this construct that I have is real. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. All right, all right, all right, nerd alert, just letting you know, I am more than excited. Excitement has no words for the way I'm actually feeling for you and I to drop in right now with one of the top leaders in our wellness world, Aubrey Marcus. I know you're gonna be able to hear this and tell this, but upfront, I'll just be honest with you in this episode. I got to sit down in person in Los Angeles with Aubrey, where he was smack in the middle of writing his new book to be published next year called Own the Day. And I definitely had a super fan moment, well, many super fan moments, sitting with someone that I've been following for over three years because of his radical and authentic presence and the way that he impacts so many hundreds of thousands, really millions of lives at this point with his truth and his community, both on the Aubrey Marcus podcast and with the Onnit movement. Now, Aubrey is a 20-year native of Austin. He founded Onnit in 2010 with a holistic health philosophy he calls total human optimization. We went everywhere, literally everywhere in this conversation, which I'm so proud of because many of the topics we're delving deep into around physical and emotional intelligence for this interview were the first for Wellness Force Radio. And what's most concrete about getting to meet and open up with Aubrey in person is that he not only lives his philosophy to create things that treat the body as a whole being and provide the best tools to support people achieving their purpose, but also that Aubrey's core mission is to shift our global consciousness by any and all means necessary while having fun, while enjoying this time here on the planet. We talked about narrative, religion, God, spirituality, psychedelic experiences, float tanks, Toltec wisdom, and I know you're going to be intrigued and challenged by some of the concepts, really these controversial concepts that we go into for this interview. By the end of the show, no doubt in my mind, you'll have a much clearer vision for how you can show up and own the day in your life and with the people you care about. So let's drop in, in person with Aubrey Marcus. Man, so cool to be able to spend time with you. And I told you in the kitchen, like, I actually went to an energy healing session two days ago just to like prepare myself to speak to you. And I know it sounds crazy, but I was on the table. It just brought me to this place where I was like, the soul is always talking to us. We're always getting these messages from the soul. And I'm curious for you, like, what's your definition of the soul? Like, how would you define the soul? How would you define it? I would define it as the voice that's always talking to us. The one that we knew when we were a kid. The yep. one that we knew when we didn't even know what a soul was. It was that voice that we felt. So soul is a challenging word because soul 
has a religious connotation and that religious connotation in a lot of people's mind has not been associated with something positive right your soul is what burns in hell or gets saved right it which is really contrary to everything that i understand about the soul so i don't tend to use that language language doesn't bother me at all but when i talk about it and you have somebody who's been exposed to that it can bring up a lot it's same as the word god right like i don't mind the word god god's fine for me yeah but it means so many different things to so many other people and i think for me i i just talk about it as consciousness your soul is your consciousness it's the observer of life it's the force that animates life it's your highest self it's your god self it's your soul and and that it does whisper to you constantly but it is you you know so it's a little bit weird to say it whispers to you because no 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 the soul is you whispering to your mind who you think is you who is pretending to be you who is leading you down this path of delusion pretending like it's real when really the real thing is your consciousness and that is the real you and so the key there is to alter and shift your point of identity and if you can successfully shift your point of identity to your consciousness all of the problems not all of the problems but the majority of the problems especially all of the problems of the mind start to go away you grew up in a texas kind of christian environment what was it like to go from this monotheistic to the recognition that oh i'm connected to the cosmos and i've had <laughs> many touch points with uh, external energy. well i'll tell you what it did what i knew you know my parents weren't that way and i did move into texas christian you know kind of paradigm and i would get suckered into a ski trip my buddies would be like hey let's go on the ski trip I'm like yeah sweet ski trip and then it'd be like a bible ski trip but they learned pretty quick not to invite me to that because i would start asking questions i'd be like all right so the people who don't believe in this specific thing go to hell well how come by statistically speaking the people who believe in it are the people whose parents you know taught them about it and this is they're in this area what about people who are exposed to something completely different they didn't even have a chance they didn't even know and they're like well and they start fumbling for all of these reasons like what about all the people who came before humanity's been around for hundreds of thousands of years you know in certain forms of evolution well we know we don't believe like what do you mean we don't believe that were you always hungry like did you always have this like fire what age did you know that you were a seeker like when did you know that you were just a seeker there wasn't like an aha moment yeah it was more cumulative right yeah i mean yeah. my grandma would instill on me the value of knowledge and the value of asking questions and the value of truth whether it was exploring whatever topic it was and my mother carried that on my father carried that on there was always a, a seeking for truth and and again to go back to the religion thing i knew enough then that this was there was a lot of bullshit involved and so i actually became more atheistic and especially there was a really pivotal moment for me where i went to italy and i toured the dungeons of the inquisition and I saw these horrific devices which were actually used on human beings because they didn't believe in the same religion as the people who are perpetrating these things. I mean, and half of them involved the genitals. It was like horrific, yeah. you know, ways to torture someone's most sensitive part. Like the things still haunt me that I see, you know, and, and some more obvious like the Iron Maiden where the spikes close in on you, some with fire, some some that just lock you in horribly uncomfortable positions. I felt the same way at the Coliseum, just knowing how many hundreds of thousands of people died and I was walking in the trenches right there. Yeah, that didn't fuck me up as much because I felt like I did study, I studied classical civilization and there were some fucked up horrible things, people getting fed to animals, but there was also like a lot of people enlisted into the gladiator arena because of the glory. You know, and there was a way out. There was a way for at least the gladiators, maybe not the people getting sacrificed to lion. So it wasn't as fucked up to me as just this idea of, 
oh, you believe that the plants can heal you and you believe in spirituality, we're going to we're gonna put you in this dungeon and let other sadistic people torture you for the rest of your life. It was like really fucked. So that, then I decided like, all right, well, my purpose here is to destroy organized religion and expose all the bullshit. And, you know, I quickly saw like, all right, well, other people are doing a pretty good job of that, like Christopher Hitchens and things. So I started to like think, all right, maybe some other people can pick up that torch, but I was still pretty angry about it. And then I did my first psychedelic experience and, you know, again, I was vehemently atheistic at this point. How old were you with the first psychedelic? It was, so yeah, it was right after I graduated high school. So, wow. like turning 19. Yeah. And um, did that and felt my body evaporate and felt what I now call consciousness in its purest form. And I went, oh, shit. Like, I had half right. Maybe some of these tenets of organized religion were yeah. wrong. But they were right about some shit because there's something that extends beyond the death of my body. And it's not something that I learned in a book. In fact, I wanted to discard everything that I heard in these books, but I felt it. And once I felt it, I couldn't unforget. You know, I couldn't Is that why you it. studied philosophy in college? Because you I was probably already going to go that way anyways, you know, even because I was still studying philosophy of religion because I was still kind of hot on that You're topic. You're still hungry for the truth. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but that certainly gave me a different perspective. And mm. um, how do you feel like that flavored on it? your studies in philosophy because it has a unique feel right total yeah. human optimization came from this but there's obviously a flavor as to like why you studied philosophy and how that led to you well, philosophy it. is the study of how to solve some of the most complicated problems in the world problems that you can't solve you know with a clinical trial you know things that involve metaphysics mixed with physics mixed with human emotions mixed with all of these things and I think we've lost the respect for pure philosophy as a as an art and as a science, you know, and, and everything now is either empirically proven or it's bullshit. Right? Well, philosophy bridges the gap between the formation of these theses and bridges the gap between religion and and just practicality and it, it bridges a lot of different gaps. And I think there's um, you know, people have kind of lost the art of philosophy and it's I'm really trying to bring that back because I think there's a I think there's a place for that and you know with on it it is a philosophy about how to solve the problems of you're here you want to get here you're you know you're one place you want to get better yeah you know you want to optimize your body's function your energy systems your mental you know mental functions so it is a philosophical problem that we're trying to solve. I feel like this stoic philosophy, I was just having lunch with a guy who's been on the show, Jay Tita, and he was like, listen, I just try to apply, how do I get to the truth as quickly as possible? And that's exactly what the stoic philosophy is, the stoic questioning and answer period or whatever the, mm -hmm. the system is. Do you feel like when you founded on it that you went through any kind of question and answer period with yourself? Like, did you have a, a moment in the mirror where you're like, listen, I know this is what I want to do? I think the that turning point probably happened on a plant medicine journey in Peru where I took ayahuasca for, I guess it was the, the second time that I'd taken it. The first time I was just dying and accepting my death. But the second time I had a I like really- like how you say that so nonchalantly. Yeah. <laughs> second time I had a very clear vision about what on it could become and what the steps needed to take that were. And it's held true to that vision ever since. You know, I've remembered that you know, whenever I think about on it, I remember that vision. And uh, so there was, that was a pretty key, pretty key moment there for sure. Do you feel like there'll be any exploration for you again? Cause I know in one of your podcasts in the past, you're like, I'm done. I'm not going <laughs> to do more plant medicine, but then you came back and, and you went through it again. So yeah, the thing is, is that I love people and I love my homies and I love, you know, my family, my tribe. And when I have somebody that's going to go over the other side and I know that I could, 
help help guide them through that i'm always going to show up and be like all right here we go yeah you know like let's go um, but just, it's not for everyone right it's not for everyone yeah. but for the people who are ready i'm just the type of guy that is going to show up and say all right you know i'm in let's do this and so and not it's not to say that i don't get immense benefit out of it too i absolutely do i'll i'll always be able to keep learning there's no point at which i won't get value out of it but i think if it was just for me you know i like i haven't booked psychedelic experiences just for me since but yeah. i have done you know i think i underestimated the yeah you're gonna do this you're gonna do this all right man let's do it you know i'll, I'll take you over there we'll get we'll have some fun there's been like three different situations where i've done ayahuasca and um the most recent one i was thrown up in a bucket and i could like see the anger that was coming out of my mouth mm -hmm. in the bucket have you had experiences where when you were done you realized that you released something big uh, something where maybe you didn't even know you were holding on to it. Of course. <laughs> I mean, that's the name <laughs> of the game, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, sometimes people go and they don't, they don't purge. I think, I think they do purge. They just don't purge through vomit. There's a million ways you can purge. You can energetically purge. You can purge through breath. You can purge through fluids. Yawning purge, 50 yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get some stuff out generally. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's been very clear what I was purging at other points. I remember one point, um, Dom Robert, who's the shaman at Spirit Quest, was um, tapping a shikapa, which is the fan of leaves, tapping the shikapa on the top of my head. And I was just sitting there, and, and then I started to feel something kind of gurgle in my stomach. And then it felt what felt like a Cadbury egg just started to work its way up my throat. And as soon as he finished doing a shikapa, I felt like I birthed this Cadbury egg of, I thought it was real. And I still don't know to this day what it was because I looked in the bucket. It was dark. It was kind of hard to see. Yeah. And I'd already puked in a bunch of ice. <laughs> but it felt like I released this like Cadbury egg. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like that size. Hmm. And I still have no idea what that was, but it wasn't good for me. And it got out. So some of the times it's like, I don't know what happened, but I feel better. Yeah. And sometimes it's very clear, like you said. You're a big voice in our wellness world. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people look to you for guidance. And I think that the way you've been so honest about ayahuasca that it's not for everyone and not everybody should just jump in a backpack and Fuck go do no. it. It's a big deal <laughs> because it's an exploration that like I tend to get a lot of questions on because I've talked about it a little bit on Wellness Force. Yeah. What would you say to somebody that is open to it, that is feeling the call to it? What is some safety and precautions around them exploring that? Really exploration into higher states of consciousness. That's what this is all about. Yeah, ayahuasca is a tricky one because there's a couple things that you got to worry about. There's, it's really a big part is the practitioner. I mean, this medicine is a hard one to hold, you know, and I've seen a lot of people try to hold this medicine and it's broken them, you know, and people who think that they're ready. It's one thing to be able to provide a, you know, a psilocybin ceremony or even a smoke DMT ceremony or um, some other things still requires a great level of austerity, a great level of sensitivity and, and consciousness that you can hold. Yeah. But ayahuasca is a whole other level. I mean, it's at the extreme level of challenge, you know, to be able to to be that hollow bone, to be that force that uh, is a conduit for the medicine, but doesn't shift it any way with your ego and with anything. And I've seen that fail more often than not. And um, so it's it's a tough one. I don't recommend it that often in general, just because I don't think the the quality of practitioner is as out there. Yeah. But you know, I've have had a lot of good people. A lot of people have had good experiences with domestic shamans that have been rolling around. I had a great experience with a domestic one. Yeah, and I think you know that tends to be that tends to be the case. Now, where that breaks down is if 
I've had also people talk about that person just getting overwhelmed where the medicine was just too much for them. But it, ne it seems like it's less that there was a malintentioned domestic shaman. Like there's two different areas. Like one, one pitfall is they don't have your best interest in mind. And that's a big one for people to understand, especially when you go down to the jungle. You know, just because they're serving ayahuasca and ayahuasca can heal you doesn't mm -hmm. mean that's their intention at all. Like the, the jungle has a law and the law is the strong eat the weak. Like the, you don't say that the jaguar was immoral for eating the taper. He was just hungry. He was just hungry. He, these, these are people of the jungle. You're the taper, they're the jaguar. If they decide to heal you, they decide to heal you. If they decide that you're the taper, you're the taper. Yeah. And their buddies, their homies aren't gonna be like, oh man, you were being the jaguar, why are you being such a dick? You know, they just understand that, all right, he's abiding by jungle law rather than by Western moral code. And you gotta understand that. And so some of the, some of the healers down there are pure medicine, you know? Curanderos, curanderas, like pure medicine people. And some people are on the other side. They call them brujos or brujas. They're into the sorcery aspect. They're trying to pull something from you mm. greater than what they're giving, you know, and, and that's all really that is, whether it's money or whether it's energy or whatever. You find that down there, you got to avoid that. And then there's obviously some, you know, some sex issues, some of the ideas about sexual boundaries are yeah. a little bit different down there. Because well. essentially, man, everybody's trying to heal this country, this world right now. There's some shit going on. Yeah. Some shit that I think you're really doing an amazing job of healing for. But there's also people out there that are kind of walking a different way than they talk in the health and wellness world. What makes you stay true? Like what connects you to the ethos of what you do? Because there's so many distractions and temptations and like people like muses with the harp, like, come here, Aubrey, we'd like to distract you today. Mm -hmm. Like you're here writing a book in LA. What, what keeps you grounded? What makes you stay focused on, on your art of creation and to on it? It's pretty simple. I think everybody, there's one metaphysical principle that's important to adopt. And that is the principle of unicity, the principle that everybody is you living a different life. So you can't possibly have fun at someone else's expense and have fun when you understand that. Like everybody has to have fun. You can't profit off of somebody else's loss and actually profit. It doesn't make, it's a wash, you know, like you can't succeed that way. And I think when you really understand that, that really sets everything else in balance, you know? And then also the compassion that that breeds then becomes your motivation. You see that people are suffering and that if anything that you can do can alleviate that and those people are you, you know, it's almost a way to incorporate a form of selfishness, which is really easy for us to do. If everybody's you, then all you have to do is be selfish and work for everybody, hmm. work for the whole earth. If you're everything, then just work for yourself. But first acknowledge that you're everything yeah. and then you're working for everyone. So somebody's trying to distract you and you just go right back to that connection. Yeah, I mean, that's the- Because here in LA, the there's a lot piece. of distractions, man. Sure. And I think that the Toltecs have a good way of handling it too, where it's, they call it your controlled folly. It's to understand when you're just playing a game for the game's sake and to just have a sense of humor about it, do something silly, you know, like, yeah, all right, indulge the ego, buy those fancy clothes, wear that fancy watch. No, but know ultimately that it's silly. Mm. Know that if you had to go dangle that over a bridge and drop it into the water, that you would do it with a laugh, not with pain. Something you recently said on a podcast, you were like, you know, all these homes, all these cars, all these things we have, death will turn that all to dust. Yep. Is that a life coach? Is that a thing that we can always depend on to motivate us to stay true, to love? Yeah, death, you know, the, the Toltecs again say death is your wisest advisor, you know, and yeah. that's what they mean by that is it reminds you about attachment. These things that you think are so important are not that important. There will be 
you know, enjoy them. But if they go away sooner rather than later, they're going away one way or another. Nothing is permanent, you know, except for perhaps your consciousness. So don't get attached to these things. These are all sandcastles and the tide's going to come and the tide's going to wash them back into sand. <laughs> so don't get too fucking attached. Enjoy the castles. Imagine the people there. Have fun. Play. Yay! <laughs> And then the tide's coming, so chill. So while we're here in physical form, some of us feel things more than others. I think some people are more empathic than other people. Sometimes people go through massive trauma. And you had a situation where it wasn't massive trauma, but you wrote about it in this just beautiful Instagram post. And it was about when you were 30, you changed your name. Mm -hmm. And you gave credit. It was on Father's Day. And you gave credit to your dad. And, and you talked about like, you know, I had a different situation than a lot of people. But I also respect him and still love him, even though I didn't get some of the things that I wanted. Mm -hmm. How did you formulate such maturity around that? It's not something you try to do. It's just something you surrender to. I, I think a lot of times we think of adding, we think of this cumulative process of like, I had to add on to this maturity, you know, but I think it's more taking away the immaturity. That's it's the process. It's more removing of all of the obstacles to our own internal wisdom. I mean, talk about maturity, like we're a consciousness that in my understanding of it has been around for eternity for taking multiple different lives done multiple different things I mean, how much more mature than that are you going to get you know it's just that we've forgotten that we've forgotten who we really are we don't have the right identification point we're identifying as this fickle scared ego who's constantly worried about his status and his identity being challenged rather than oh no i'm this badass cosmic traveler made of light that's currently embodying this human form like what the fuck am i worried about you know, and that's the that's the maturity of it. And then understanding that people are just doing their best, you know, and really under taking away some of the judgment. My dad did his best. You know, he he did some things great, he failed in other ways, but you know, there's no other response but empathy and love when you understand that really people are just doing their best. Some of the people from the Wellness Force community asked you questions. This is from Stephanie. Aubrey, how do we rewrite our life story if in childhood we did have trauma and abuse? Yeah. I mean, I think there's some tools that can help you do that. I mean, I think um, part of the problem with trauma is the memory will be imbued with the emotions that happen at that time. And those emotions are very painful. So anytime you access that memory, you access those emotions. And that's one of the ways that people explain, a lot of the doctors explain PTSD. It's the encoding of you know, the experience with the emotion. And so I think one of the things that has been really successful with maps.org and the MDMA trials is going back into those traumatic memories, but with that serotonergic loving flood and a very you know kind and compassionate therapist guiding you through where you can look back at the memory and then rewrite it, re-encode it with a different emotional state. And sometimes you're gonna need heavier work like that, but other times you know, you really just need to breathe, access that, go into it, and just let yourself know that it's okay that whatever you were feeling is okay, you know, forgive yourself for any guilt that you might be carrying around, understand that you're doing your best, it wasn't your fault, they were doing their best, you know, it was a fucked up choice, but ultimately, you know, they made it and they should be forgiven as well, you know. Yeah. And then and and really go back into the fire and, and just keep breathing and bringing love back in and you know, love is the only thing that really fixes anything. And so you have to go back in with love. And, and sometimes you're gonna need professional help. Yeah. And sometimes you can start to do some of that work yourself and bring the love and forgiveness on your own. And sometimes when you bring in the love, your love is met with anger 
or your love is met with fear. And so you have to fortify your love. Yeah. You mean if you're bringing it to the person, you know, trying to resolve it. Right. So you make a decision there. I mean, I think we're all in control of our own internal. What I was talking about was the internal situation. Like you can resolve it internally and not even worry about it externally. I mean, that's a whole other for You have to be really ready for that. And that yeah. may never work. And that may create more trauma. But really, the key thing is to just take care of your own internal, your internal world, like heal the things on your own. And then consider if it's the right strategy to go and try and deal with that out in the external. It may or it may not. It just depends on the situation. You and know, there's that so many may not tools. Be ready. There's so many tools to do that. Like float tanks, I know you're huge on. Sure. You spoke two years ago at the float conference or, mm -hmm. or one year. I went to um, one in uh, North County, San Diego. And I was like, what is this float thing? And I just like couldn't stay still. It took me like 45 minutes yeah. to just be still. But then I went like seven times in a row and I had experiences as if I had smoked weed. Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt without any drugs at all that you're in the float tank and you're like, wow, I actually kind of forgot I was in my body for a second. Of course, that's the point. <laughs> the body, the <laughs> yeah. body goes to sleep. You know yeah. that aspect of the mind that's looking constantly for threats and trying to focus on something. It's like, well, I'm out of here, and then you get to experience <laughs> yourself as consciousness because the rest of the stimulus kind of falls off. So, extremely powerful tool. I actually experienced that. You know, it's akin to me to dry floating when I uh, use binaural beats, and you know, I have some that my homie Corey Allen developed and. We offer them on the website, but um, this is the guy that said we're all meat radios. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. He's amazing, and he's also a music producer by trade. And I'll put on some of those, and I'll have some of the deepest meditations. Like I remember, I popped out of one, and the the track is called Temple Stillness, a really you know powerful track. I use this other one, Earth Peace, to kind of take a nap, but this one, Temple Stillness, I use to really connect in meditation. And um, I was talking to Source, like I was talking to Source. And that, that's happened to me twice before in yeah. ayahuasca, you know, and, and so it's, this is the third time. And it was, this was just binaural beats. This was just a regular afternoon where I dropped in and whatever brainwave pattern this, you know, this entrained in my head allowed the frequency antenna to talk to source. And of course, this could be my imagination. I don't really worry too much about that. I think, you know, as within, so without the internal mm -hmm. voice and the external voice, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But and it was a really cool moment because in that conversation there was a lot of gratitude and I love using appreciation and and um, you know the message was, hey man just have fun mm. like that's what you're here to do have fun and remember that you can't have fun and again that same message is like you can't have fun at someone else's expense like they have to have fun for you to have fun. This is one of the tools, man, is joy and love and just playing like getting dirty. And not totally. care. I see, you know, I love my brother James, but you know, he's very like protective of his kids. And I'm like, sometimes it's okay if they get their arm broken or if they get their hands dirty. You know what I mean? Like they we need to. to get dirty and play more. Is that going to be in the new book? There's a ton of tools in the mm -hmm. new book. Now, I don't look, I don't know how much you can talk to us about the new book. I can talk about it a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Own the Day. Is that the yeah. title? Man, you did your homework. Yeah. You're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's called Own the Day. And there's definitely going to be a lot about playing and enjoying yourself and also, you know, all the tools that you need a lot of some a mix of stoic philosophy a mix of things that are going to be hard and things that should be easy and things that should be fun how much is ryan holiday helping you with the book you know they've been good in in really structuring it and strategizing around it and um and that's been really really helpful turning my ideas into a structure that that is an actual viable book and you know they help with the title but you know what i'm finding is is the writing 
more and more has to be really me. You yeah, know? man. And, uh, like, I just, it has to be me. It has to be my voice. It has to be the way that I explain things. I really respect that. There's so many authors out there that um, we've had on the show, actually, that I know they didn't write their whole book. Yeah. I read it just the same. I, and look, I'm not trying to be a hero here. Like, yeah. I, when I first thought about this, I was like, oh, great. They'll do, they'll do the lion's share of this <laughs> thing. But when it's actually come down to it, you know, it's me writing the, you know, I'm writing the the first 5,000 word draft of this. They're coming back editing behind me. Then I'm coming back again and re-editing anything they change. And, they, and it's just this constant back and forth. Mm. And, um, you know, they're incredibly talented, incredibly good at what they do, but it's just not me. Yeah. And it's not me. And, um, and this book has to be me. And, and so that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> what's the, what's the creative process like for you? How do you stay in creation mode? How do you drop into flow? It's, a, it's what I call mental override. You know, I think uh, at some point when I had the luxury of a little bit more like waiting for the magic to happen, you know, then I would try and wait or kind of trigger flow. And now with deadlines approaching and no time and on it, you know, needing my attention, it's just straight up manual. It's like, all right, I'm going to do this book. And you'll feel this like squirrely, squeamish resistance. Like, this is overwhelming. I don't know what to do. There's too much research. This chapter is too much of a beast. And you just go, you just fucking go. Yeah. And it's really like chipping away at a giant marble block. And you just start chipping. And like, well, I know this piece I need to do. You know, like yeah. imagine if you're making a human form out of it. Well, you take out the top right and the top mm -hmm. left corner first. Because you know that there's only going to be a head in the middle. You don't even know exactly. But you're like, oh, well, at least I can do this. And you just start chipping and then eventually eventually you'll slide into, you know, a flow state. But some days it's brutal, man. Some days I'll produce a laborious 500 words and it was just like hell. And then other days I'll smoothly put out 5,000 words in the midst of having sex with Whitney and eating good meals. And, like, <laughs> and it'll be like, today was amazing. I did 5,000 words. I had great yeah. sex and great food. We went for walks in the sun and did some like, I got a great workout. Yeah. And then other days it was like, I died today. Like I left a part of my body in chapter two and I only produced 400 words, you know? <sighs> This is what Pressfield talks about, man, with like the resistance. I remember there was a point in his book where he was like, I finished the book and it was like a dragon at my feet. And I was like, die, motherfucker. And he went to his, uh, he went to his mentor and his mentor was like, great, write another book, like the very next day. So do you think that this state of flow, it's, like, it's kind of elusive. Actually, it's very elusive sometimes. Do you have things that you do to really put yourself into flow, knowing that there's going to be some days where it does feel like you left parts of your body on the pages? I don't know, man. I think, uh, I think for me, it's, it's to the point where uh, it's a bit like what Stephen Pressfield says. It's, um, it's you just show up and then flow comes from the manual effort of showing up or it doesn't come, you know, but it's so elusive to chase it. To chase it, you're as likely to miss it as you are not. But the most reliable way to find it is like he said, you put yourself in that chair and it, it knows where you are. Mm. And, and more often than not, it'll come. Um, and, and that's really what I've, that's really what I found. And then, you know, napping is a, is a good strategy for me too. It's something. How long I've, are your naps? 30 minutes. Okay. I take 30 minute naps, usually with the binaural beats. So, okay. um, I read a book, uh, in researching for my book called sleep by Nick Littlehale. And I love Sean Stevenson's book. I was going to ask it's you, great. did you use sleep smarter in your book? I did use some of that, but, um, but you know, honestly, the book Sleep by Nick Littlehale was a real game changer for me because he really goes into the the science of naps. He calls them controlled recovery periods. 
And to me, who doesn't always sleep great in a single stretch in the night, you know, which is really what Sean's book is, is monophasic sleep. You know, Nick really talks about biphasic sleep and polyphasic sleep, like the ability to sleep at multiple different times in the day. And that's been wildly helpful for me because it takes a lot of pressure off the night and then allows me to, you know, he asks you to try and aim for 35 sleep cycles a week. And so I look at my, I actually track my sleep now with the aura ring. And so I'll know how many sleep cycles I went in and it's generally I'm getting four, but my goal for a day, for a good day is five, but a controlled recovery period or a nap is equal to a cycle. So I'll get my four at night you know, which is a good night, takes me around six to seven hours to get four, four cycles in. And then, you know, I'll pick up that extra controlled recovery period and I'm feeling really well rested. Does the ring wake you up or or do you use like a sleep timer to gently wake you up when you're out? No, I don't. I I wake up, you normally wake up naturally after a sleep cycle, you know, so I just sleep as long as I can. And when I'm up, I'm up. Man, I want to shift gears because David Dita has been someone that I followed for about five years and I'm in a men's group that's based on his work. And you mentioned him so much. I'm curious, like we all go through layers of purpose and Dita talks about sometimes our purpose is to find our fucking purpose (laughs) and we don't know it. What layer of your purpose are you in right now? I mean, it'll change every day, but in this moment here with you and I, like what is your purpose to you in this moment? I don't think my purpose really changes. I have a really clear idea that that's so big for me, like knowing my purpose. It's the most important thing. That's the lighthouse in all dark and all fog that I can always aim my ship towards. And my purpose is to affect human consciousness. Like that is what I'm here for. I'm a particularly shaped tool designed for specifically that purpose. You know, like you can use a hammer for a lot of things, but a hammer is supposed to pound nails. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what its shape is for and pry nails, right? And and my tool that I've been shaped for is to uh, elevate human consciousness. So that's what I'm here for. That's what I'll always be here for. Who do you think helps shape you the most? <sighs> so many people. So, I mean, so many things. But um, some of the uh, the Toltec philosophy has been huge for me. You know, that was started with Carlos Castaneda, went into Domingo Ruiz. That has been probably the thing that I've fallen back on the most. The Four Agreements. Four Agreements was where he started, then Mastery of Love, and then uh, the Toltec Art of Life and Death was kind of his final seminal work, I think. Um, Really, really impactful there. And uh, I guess if I had to point to any one thing, it's been that, and then the plants, and then um, those two things in general have been the strongest influences breath for me personally has been my most powerful key sure and you talk about breath a hell of a lot yep um i got tattooed on my body se posso respirare posso scegliere, which mm-hmm. in italian means if i can breathe i can choose because mm-hmm. uh, in my life i've had like pretty serious bouts of anxiety what do you say about people that diss breath work or that aren't aware of it <laughs> <laughs> i mean because there's if you're a tool to shape and uplift consciousness how would you reach those people that potentially aren't ready I mean, it, it's it's such a nonsensical argument to diss breath work, right? Like there's clinical research that six deep breaths will lower your blood pressure. Like six deep breaths. That's all it takes. Six, motherfucker. You're angry? Six. We're not asking you to like do some yoga or like do some weird spiral double helix, turn your fucking stomach into the shape of a vase and, you know, fire breath, pranayama. No, six deep breaths. That's all we're asking. That will change your biochemistry six 30 seconds like you really can't argue with it it's one of those things that experientially you can do it and then the different levels that you can do it to you you have that and then you have the yogic breathing and the pranayama and then you have uh like wim hof breathing and then from there beyond that the ultimate 
level that you can reach is that shamanic holotropic breathing, which is massively transformative. Just down the street, uh, about two years ago, I went to a four-hour holotropic breathing session here. Seems long. It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. like six-foot speakers and like I was crying. I saw like my mom get carried in a stretcher when I was 12 and I hadn't thought of that in like 20 years. Breathing can access consciousness, I believe, just as powerful as plants. I agree. Have you had similar experiences? 100%. It's not as visual, but it's more emotional, more cathartic in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it doesn't leave the residue of the plants. Like the plants are a bridge to your consciousness, but the bridge is constructed a lot of times by vines and thorns and wood and things that you have to deal with. You still have the bridge in your body, you know, whatever that is. But the air, the breath is like an air bridge. Soon it'll bridge you there, but it won't leave you with the residue. So it's in some ways the most elegant solution to, to alter your consciousness. In your interview with Jamie Wheel, he said, breathing changes the wallpaper of the mind. Yeah. How incredible was that to talk to him? He's, uh, what was interesting is I really, I really appreciated him on the podcast, but then also we went to the MAP Psychedelic Science Conference and listening to some of the heroes speak at that, you know, people like Stan Groff and a lot of these people, legends. The Cabo Mate was there? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But it's funny because Jamie's part of the new school and part of the new breed where we've already accepted a certain level where we don't have to disclaim psychedelics as, and go through the same, you know, preamble that we've had to and they've had to for so long, whereas getting over people's misconceptions and misguided notions and like, I think in the new school, you know, you start with all of that already taken care of. And then it's about, all right, now where can we take this? You know, we've already got all these elementary ideas fully understood. So for him, you know, you don't have to go through the same, that same level of stuff. You just start, you know, you're starting at that graduate master's PhD level of understanding of ecstasy and all of these different functions and forms. So it's a yeah. blast, but it was, it's wild because you, you start that podcast and you're just like right up. That's one of my favorite. We will absolutely link that in the show notes because I got more from that than almost anyone I've heard of yours. Really incredible. It's he's, he's, he's remarkable. I really want to get him on. It was funny. Um, I was going through my Instagram and I see a message from Gerard Butler and Gerard Butler. Wolverine? No, from 300 Leonidas and been in Phantom of the Opera and shit, ton of other movies. And, uh, and he had listened to the Jamie Wheel podcast of mine. It was like, oh man, it's an amazing. You podcast. got a DM from from a movie star, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was the, it was that podcast. And, yeah, you know, it's also one of the most downloaded podcasts I've had, and mm. I think people really appreciate that kind of high level intellect and the ability that uh, for him to just link all of these different ideas. You have this calm confidence to you that I really respect. Like, how have you cultivated this calm confidence? Doing the work, you know, doing the work. I put myself in in a lot of fire and I've come out and what's come out has been battle tested. You know, I think when your spirituality is made a tinfoil because, and you've never actually put it in the fire, you've never actually let it burn and let it roast and let every doubt and every fear come at you all at the same time and realize, is this going to hold up? Am I going to choose love when I'm presented with this syrupy, sweet, delicious path of power that is clearly before my eyes? Will I choose love then? You know, unless you've been down that road, you're not going to be confident because you don't know if it's real. You haven't been tested. You haven't thrown your soul up into the forge of the universe mm. and said, you know, let's see what exists. Let's see if this construct that I have is real. And I've done that. And the plants have helped and a lot of other things, the pressure of business and the pressure of open relationship and all of these things have just 
put me in the forge time and time again and i know what's there now you know it's there's not a question it's like it's like an athlete if you've been there and you've had the game winning shot a bunch of times you're not afraid of it anymore even mm. if you miss you know like well this is my shot to take it's almost like the different thresholds you could use the analogy of the hero's journey or not but every time someone goes through a new fear then they're capable of completing a new fear and yeah. a new fear yeah. and a new fear and so i had a phase in my life where i didn't want to have any more fear and i'm like i just don't want to be afraid anymore and i'm like wait the fear is there to teach me something cool and then when i go to the next thing there'll be something else scary mm -hmm. then i'll go to the next thing this evolution of fear is a continuum what are you afraid of right now in a healthy way what's your healthy fear right now i think the last real remaining fear is just that i'll um that i won't be able to live up to my potential you know that I, that some way in some for some reason you know i won't be able to do what i'm ultimately capable of doing and won't be able to complete my purpose here you know and of course a lot that that could happen in a lot of ways it could happen you know a bus could hit me uh um i could get really sick i could something could happen and that would prevent me from from doing it so it's it's less about the thing that would happen but more about man it would be a shame because i know i'm just getting started mm. you know like it'd really be a bummer your answer mirrors mark divine's answer the founder of seal fit mm -hmm. it's the same answer so i really respect that so much man and i have two more questions for you one of them is around sexuality what really attracts you either emotionally or physically to a woman we have a lot of women that listen to the show <laughs> ah that's an interesting question i think the confidence around their own sexuality is really key and i think um if you have a lot of inhibitions and preconceived ideas about what you should be, what's appropriate, what a good girl does, what, you know, if I'm a slut or not a slut and all of this bull societal bullshit, like the more that you've shed that and you just are who you are, like a, an embodied, powerful, sexual being, you know, that is irresistibly attractive to me. And, and of course, consciousness is is key too. You know, the ability for me to look in someone's eyes and communicate non-verbally with like the deepest parts of them like that's where the real magic is you know and then i know that we can dance on multiple levels not just the level of the flesh but the level of the spirit yeah. and that's really that's really exciting so for me it's consciousness and shedding all of the preconceived notions that are self-limiting and holding you back and causing you to judge yourself and it's not about having the perfect body or the perfect this or the you know no wrinkles anywhere the perfect skin i don't give a fuck about that yeah mm -hmm. it's nice you know i appreciate it i mean whitney's yeah. incredibly beautiful i feel very blessed and you know i've been with very a bunch of physically beautiful people but that's not the thing the thing is like can they not feel like they're inadequate or feel like they're lacking regardless of what they come to bear if they're if they know that their uniqueness is their beauty and the only way they're going to get there is if they do like you said if they have the tinfoil spirit they're they have to be forged by the fire to get to that place they do there's no way around do. it we all get to right yeah there's no way so my last question man there's wellness there's fitness there's health my definition of wellness is much different than yours i would love to know like how do you see wellness in our world what does wellness mean to you? I think wellness is reconciling is reconciling the delusions that we have that we're carrying around and limiting us. These things that are preventing us from communicating properly with our body, these things that are causing us to speak to ourselves in a really shitty way, in a really judgy, in a judgy way. And and, and these these unreconciled 
issues that are causing a lot of the problems wellness is reconciling those wellness is coming to terms with those things like do you have completely irrational fears a fear of something that carries no danger you know are you afraid to dance are you afraid to sing if you're at a karaoke bar are you afraid like where are these things where are these things coming from like and that to me wellness is a, is a matter of reconciliation when i see someone who's unwell it's because something is unreconciled they're not observing or dealing with or you know putting in the fire some aspect of themselves and um that's that causes a lot of downstream symptoms but ultimately that's it's a game of consciousness so if your consciousness is well you'll have a much much better chance of sorting out your body and sorting out your fitness and sorting out everything else but don't try to go the other way <laughs> you know don't try to put band-aids on band-aids on the symptom yeah and not worry about the source got to worry about the source and i think we live in this world of band-aids right now so i just want to honor you and thank you so much for what you do healing the root because Try, there's, man. A, there's a lot of people <laughs> to put bandages on mm -hmm. um and i would just assume rip all the bandages off at this point especially with the political angst that's happening right now and just everything in our world really want to thank you for what you do man and for having me in la this has been so fun dude this has been great man i, yeah. I appreciate you you really know what you're talking about and you did your homework here so yeah a great conversation my pleasure man yeah thanks brother Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.